From the nation's capital, this is D.C. Public Safety. I'm your host, Leonard Sipes. Ladies and gentlemen, the title of today's program, The Amazing Life of Sidney Davis. And Sidney Davis is here by our microphone. Sidney, welcome to D.C. Public Safety. Good afternoon. Sidney has been involved in the criminal justice system as a former uh, offender. And he has three articles <laughs> or more written about Sydney, both in the Washington Post and the Washington Times. I'm going to read briefly from a Cortland Malloy uh, article in, in the Washington Post. While riding a Metro bus recently, I watched a driver help a blind man find a seat, then help him off the bus, wave oncoming traffic to a halt, and escort him in arm to the other side side of the street. It was a remarkable courtesy made remarkable because the driver was Sidney Davis, who I first met in 1981 when he was an inmate at the Lorton Correctional Complex. He was serving nine years into a 20-year-to-life sentence for murder. God granted me the freedom so I could help others, said Davis, 66, after returning to the bus. Once considered incorrigible, Davis held the Lorton record for the most time spent in solitary confinement, then to the disbelief of many, he declared himself to be a born-again Christian and started an annual prison prayer breakfast and other self-help programs for inmates. And I was encouraged to interview Sidney because, again, he has had an amazing life, caught up in the criminal justice system, coming out, being a driver for the metro system, the bus system here in the Washington, D.C. area, and instituting dozens of programs, both on the outside and the inside. Again, Sidney, welcome back to D.C. Public Safety. Thank you, uh, Brother Snipes. I am fascinated by this entire story, but I want to go into a little bit about this. Um, you know, it's interesting. The talk about the transformation, he's currently running for president of the Transit Workers Union here in, in Washington, D.C. But let me go back to your prison experiences. According to this article, you spent more time in solitary than anybody else. Yep. I... Uh it wasn't a practice. It was just me coming in contact with who I was in an environment that I had to make uh, all kind of adjustments uh, according to the conditions. And those adjustments depended upon me making up my mind that I was not going to allow my sentence to take advantage of me. But people considered you to be incorrigible. Um, they were saying that you may have been one of the worst inmates at Lorton. And then you come out... Well, you instituted a lot of programs while you're in prison. Then you come out and you get involved in dozens of community programs. You've been mentoring lots of different people. You have built yourself up to the point where you're running for president of the transit union. That's a long road from a 20-year-to-life sentence and a homicide and spending more time in solitary confinement than anybody else. Absolutely. Uh, you let, let me just say that. Once you are in an environment where you have to make your mind up about who you are, where you're going, how you're going to get there, what kind of support you need, all of these things come into being to relate to where you are going to be in the next few minutes mm -hmm. because you're in a prison environment where your life can be taken instantly. Mm -hmm. And so you're going to have to – I had to be able to, to determine which way I was going to go and what I was going to do. I had just been given a – 20-year-to-life sentence, mm -hmm. and I was still having my life in, 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 in a bucket where it could only evolve around and around and around. I had to get out of the bucket. Mm -hmm. I had to make my mind up. I had to have something that was stronger uh, to convince and convict 
my mind and my soul about where I was going. Mm-hmm. And so I had to turn to Jesus, who my grandmother uh, often told me about, but I refused to practice that behavior. But after getting into an environment and getting into yourself, you find that that's real. Those words become authentic. They become uh, a center focus mm-hmm. of of your environment. And you learn to uh, take control of your life and your 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 atmosphere and and the things around you so that they don't end, uh, affect you in that manner. Okay. So you do we ever look back at your life and say heavens I have truly lived a long and complicated and amazing life. Do you ever take a look back and just think and reflect of all the different things that have happened to you uh, throughout your life in terms of prison and out of prison and what you've given to the community as a result, your change as a human being. I mean, it is, it is an amazing story. Well, you, you have to um, I always reflect. I sit and I concentrate. I reflect on where I was 20, 30 years ago. I reflect on my thinking. Mm-hmm. Uh, in my reading and having to read many, many, many pieces of literature, or Paul Robeson, uh, Mayo St. Tong, uh, Malcolm X, mm-hmm. all of these were thought-changing uh, incidents, thought-changing processes that made me think more cognitively in myself as opposed to outside of myself. Mm-hmm. And so there I found strength. And How- the prison environment allowed the barriers, the walls... All of the conditions, uh, the boundaries that kept me in, but my mind was forever free. How did you see yourself when you were on the streets and entered the prison system? How did you see yourself as a person? Well, incorrigible. I mean, I was a renegade. Right. Renegade to the extent that everything uh, was not taken into account of what I was doing or how I was doing it. It was just doing it. I mean, when you have that kind of life in an urban environment, not that the urban environment is one that makes the influence, but you adapt to a lot of things to try to find out where you are with yourself. But how did you see yourself as a person? Did you see a future for yourself? Did you see aspirations? Did you see goals? How did you think of yourself as a person? Well, uh, my family had always injected in me and uh, tried to stir me in the right. When I was going to school, I was always a, a good student. Mm-hmm. I went to school, but school was not always an interest. Mm-hmm. I uh, took trades, um, welding, carpentry, shoe repair. I had all of those things in uh, junior high school and high school. Mm-hmm. But school was not an instrument. I went to school to play around. I didn't give full concentration to the maximum uh, of my ability that would allow me not to get caught up into the criminal justice process. And Did subsequently, you... I went try to get in the military because I knew that was uh, uh, upon me. Go in the military, get my life straight, get some discipline, uh, travel some, uh, come out with, with skills and, and directions and, and purpose. But I couldn't get in the military because they said one of my legs was longer than the other. And so mm-hmm. they denied me to get in the military. And so therefore, I was... Uh, you know, out there, so to speak. I mean, so many of today's youth and and throughout my experience within the criminal justice system end up committing crimes, end up in the criminal justice system because they don't see a life for themselves. They live for the moment. They don't see a future for themselves. They they are just aimless, wandering through life, 
Was that you or was that not you? Yeah, that, that was me. In part, that was me. But okay. let me just say that uh, those kind of values are reinforced when they're not intrinsic in the school process. Okay. Uh, when they're not intrinsic in the community uh, uh, in a civil way. At one time, you know, the community cared for one another. They cared for each other. They made sure that people were hungry. They made sure that the village was a nurturing place, mm-hmm. not necessarily a place of destruction. Mm-hmm. Uh, there were some things going on, you know, the drinking. and But drugs was not a primary in communities back when I was coming through. Mm-hmm. Alcohol was okay. They made uh, moonshine, and people enjoyed themselves, and they worked, and they loved each other, and they reached for each other. They cared for about each other. And they were for each other, regardless of the circumstance. They would look out for one another's children, all of those kinds of things made for the, the strength of the, of the community where you had models, models that you could look up to. Uh, and they were elders and who uh, nurtured you and uh, told you what not to do and showed you what to do and how to do it. Do you think that's in place today? Well, no. No. We uh, have missing a great deal of... Uh, of, of leadership and uh, the strength of the elders in communities, they, they've all passed away or gone to glory. Uh, that's not in place today. But what we do have is those who are coming from prison who have experience that can be of benefit to the young people. And that's where we have to begin to look at the value of the people who are now in prison to see what value they can bring back to bring about that reconciliation. Is that how you see yourself now? I, I was reading the Washington Post article about how you quiz students who come on your buses and, and ask them questions about history and asking them questions about philosophy uh, and engage them and tell them they, you want to see their report cards uh, the next time they, they enter your bus. And the Washington Post article went on to say that where other bus drivers were having problems, you didn't have those problems because you meaningfully engaged the young people getting on your bus. Is that how you see yourself today? Taking on that mantle of the of an elder guiding young people through the life of, of living in the community. Yes. Okay. You must uh, be able to take a position, or someone will give you one. Mm-hmm. Uh, and sometimes the position that they give you, you won't necessarily like. Mm-hmm. So you have to take one that's going to bring uh, humanity close to you to let you know who you are, what you're doing, and what value you are to other people. Uh, it is always that. People in, 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 in work and in these institutions that govern the institution, you have to find something that's more bigger than you. Yep. In order to have appreciation for life and a fullness, you got to have something bigger to do than yourself. And so you can't get caught up in the selfishness. What I have been given, what I have learned, what, has been, uh, what I've been exposed to is no value for me just to hold it. I have to give it back. Mm-hmm. And... Seeing these young people get on the bus with no directions and real playful and joyful and, you know, going at each other, there's always an opportunity to, to prick their consciousness when they step on the bus. And you ask them the kind of the questions that I believe they should know at this level and that grade. I asked them about Paul Robeson. Mm-hmm. Well, no one seems to know who Paul Robeson was, and so I give them research projects. And when they come back, they have for me... Uh, the clear example who Jackie Robinson was, mm-hmm. who uh, Elvis Presley was. Mm-hmm. I mean, what did he do? How did he become famous? All of the challenges in a particular community have to be always reinforced all the time, not just by me being a bus driver. If they didn't got the money, 
then I'm, I'm not supposed to let them on the bus. Everybody's supposed to do that. Right. Correct? That's right. I mean, all of us of a certain age, and when That's I right. say a certain age, you could be 25. Right. We all have the responsibility to interact with the kids in our community and challenge them to be better. Absolutely. And that's the way we solve the crime problem beyond law enforcement and beyond the criminal justice system and beyond the correctional system. That's your point, correct? Absolutely. In in school, today you have to be introduced to the, the life of what it means not to be able to grow and develop and be fullness and of thinking about decision making you have to and that has to be a part of the curriculum in schools mm-hmm. because if it's not reinforced there that value of being uh, uh complete in your thinking as to how to love a person as opposed to going to get uh, a gun or going to get a gang of guys to jump on somebody you have to reinforce the values that are strict, that are going to forever remain in the life of a child, of a community, of a family, of the broader society. Mm-hmm. We have to demonstrate that. We have to lock our minds, our spirits, our hearts into one another and know that we can make the difference. A fundamental change, you say, came upon you through religion. And you said it was something that your grandmother gave you. Do you think that that was the pivotal moment in your life that changed you as a person? I would have to say yes. And, I mean, yes, twice, three times, yes. Um, Because, you know, when you were young, when I was younger, I was introduced to church. I was introduced to the spirit of uh, the reality of who... Uh, this Jesus was. Mm-hmm. However, I didn't embrace it mm-hmm. until such time as I was in a predicament where God put me in a predicament for me to pay attention to what he was saying to me. So I had to listen. And, and what, I asked, what was he saying to you? As you're sitting in prison, because I'm assuming that this conversion came in prison, I think according to the article it did. What was God saying to you as you sat in prison, as you sat in solitary? Because if you were the long, if you served the longest time in solitary in the Lorton Correctional Complex, uh, you had to be doing a series of, of pretty nasty acts. There was a certain point where you sat there in solitary. And something happened to you when I'm trying to figure out what that was. Well, it was a transformation. I I quietly went into, uh, it's like we being in the womb. Uh, 270 days we lay in the womb Mm -hmm. and we're being nurtured. Mm -hmm. Uh, We're being nurtured according to the adrenaline and the thinking of the person that's carrying us. And then there comes the fullness of time, mm-hmm. the fullness of time in every season where fruit grows ripe. Fruit cannot grow out of season and be as it was intended to be. Now, it could be incubated. It could be uh, given some kind of chemical to grow. But the natural order of life, the natural order of life is for you to get quiet with yourself and yourself, see yourself as to who you are. And you pray because the power of prayer intervenes and gives you an instant, an instant transformation. Do you believe that God was speaking to you directly? Spoke directly to me. And what was that message? That message was for me. I asked him. I asked him if he, in fact, would take from me all of the ills of the drugs and all of the desires that were not uh, a part of the life that he was allowing me to then. I would do the rest. 
just allowed me that opportunity. And he did that. And so my life has been consistent with that practice. We're halfway through the program. The title of today's program, The Amazing Life of Sidney Davis, and it truly is amazing. Um, the, he's gotten a lot of press in the newspapers in Washington, D.C. and throughout. He's running for president of the Transit Workers Union here in the District of Columbia. Uh, so he has come a long way from, from the most time spent in solitary confinement to a pillar of the community. And, and I find that's, uh, the, that's the, the principal part of, uh, of his story. You know, when you got out, um, you ran into a jam because you're talking on the bus, you're talking to lots of different people, and you ended up talking to people about um, a candidate for mayor of Washington, D.C., who was supportive of reentry programs for people coming out of the prison system, and you lost your job. You're absolutely right, uh, Brother Snapes. I lost my job because I took a position, and I took a position based upon the candidate's record. And I was in talking to people on the bus about not getting caught up in emotion. Mm-hmm. Don't be driven by your emotion. Check out the record of the person. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's the same situation where our records are always held against us once we come out of prison mm-hmm. and people can't get jobs. Mm-hmm. Well, I'm telling these folks to look at the value of the person's record to see how they voted, to see what their thinking is. And so there was a reporter on the bus who was recording the information. Well, after the, the article came out in the paper and uh, saying I had uh, adopted and supporting the candidate Vincent Orange, mm-hmm. who, who is now a uh, councilman at large. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, but but how do, uh, the, the thing that, that, that gets me is that you've been through a tough life, undoubtedly a tough life. You come out, you do find work, you're working. You're interacting with the passengers on the bus in many pro-social ways. You say something political, the transit folks object to you engaging in political advocacy while on the bus. You lose your job. You lost your job for over a year. How did you feel when you lost your job? Well, I felt kind of uh, disempowered, so to speak. I couldn't contribute in my family, so I had to go back and get some of the other skills that I've, I've had. I'm a barber by trade. Mm-hmm. I'm a welder by trade. Mm-hmm. So I had to draw from the arsenal of skills that I learned while, while I was in prison. Mm-hmm. Uh, I was not going to be turning back on myself and going and doing something that was going to put me back in prison. But My mind had been made up to do the correct thing. For so many people who come out of the prison system, when they do find success and that success is stripped from them, they spiral back into drugs. They spiral back into crime. My point is that you did not let that happen to you. That, well, had, to be, um, that had to be immensely disappointing to you, and it had to be a very hard time for you. Well, it was a hard time, but it, it, it was no more harder than the fact that I had done 21 years in prison without anything. Right. So, therefore, that had become a practice in my life. Okay. Because of that that catastrophe or because of that uh, blockage or, or barrier or, or wall that was set up, it wasn't going to prohibit me from from continuing the progress to build so myself. So you measured that the process of losing your job against where you've been and simply said, if I can survive this, I can. if I Absolutely. can survive that, I can survive Absolutely. this. You Absolutely. did get your job back after a year. I went through uh, the arbitration process, and I beat them. Beat them mean that they didn't have facts to substantiate what they were doing to me. Did you get back pay? 
I didn't get back pay, and I oh, lost. Oh, you did I, not I get, get back, back pay, pay and oh, I didn't get uh, 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 unemployment. They took my unemployment, mm. so I had an option: mm. whether to go back to live the old life, mm-hmm. or to take what had come out as a as a result of of, of the situation with the political thing. Mm-hmm. What came out was: here's a choice: mm-hmm. you take the job, we taking this. Mm-hmm. Well, if you work, you can get more money. By the way, you and I are—we uh, have similarities. You went to Johns Hopkins. I attended Johns Hopkins in right up here on Massachusetts Avenue. Okay, and to, uh, you got your bachelor's degree while in prison, right? I got my bachelor's degree in prison. Yes. How important was that to you? It was exceptionally important. I mean, to come from uh, to get my my GED and to continue to go on to get the AA and then to, to get the BA. Mm-hmm. Those were major accomplishments. Education. It was the fundamental thing that I concentrated on, that I continue to concentrate mm-hmm. on, to uh, make myself aware to myself so I can improve. Now, you know that most of the college programs have been stripped from Lorton Prison. When I looked sure. at a Washington Times article, they, they addressed sure. that and they sure. interviewed you about that. Um, how important do you feel is the educational process within the prison system, whether it be vocational or college? Well, we're talking about two aspects. We're talking about education as it relates to young people, introducing them to the fundamentals of who they are. Mm -hmm. And then subsequently, if they wind up in the criminal justice process, it seems that the education is separate. In other words, there's no more concentration. Uh, But education is fundamental to being able to respect oneself, to respect somebody else, to, to love somebody, to get knowledge of knowing how to grow how to understand, how to apply that understanding, how to apply economics with situations. You have to know that that this life is one that you must be educated in and be able to exchange socially, politically, any kind of way that uh, whatever institution you decide to go in. But we've pulled the programs. The Pell Grants that supported the vast majority of these programs have been pulled. President Obama is reintroducing them on a limited basis. How imp- You've already told me how important it was to you. How important is it to everybody else called it in the prison a, system? It is, it, is a, it is a fundamental prerequisite that everybody be exposed to education. It reduces violence inside the prison. It reduces violence to oneself. It reduces a behavior to get along with the prison uh, officials. Mm-hmm. I mean, if if you, they, no one can't be point the finger at for the wrong that you commit. Mm-hmm. Okay, so then you got to come out of that and be able to appreciate that you made a mistake. Now, what are you going to do with it? Okay, what you're going to do with the mistake? You're going to let it grow, or you're going to cut the mistake off and begin to look more into the value of what you need to do, and that only comes through fundamental education. Now, all of these programs being cut out, Mm -hmm. these are the minds of people who are looking for those individuals. It's just like a, 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 what you call it, a a pest, I'm sorry. It's just like an individual having to be ate up and not being able to think themselves out of a condition. These conditions have been created, mm-hmm. and folk in prison want to get out, and people, taxpayers want to see them come out to be better. Right. However, if the people who runs these 
uh, uh, this industry, this prison industry, if they're not applying those things, then it's detrimental to the community, to the health of the community, to the safety of the community. And we have to begin to impose upon the policymakers to change the, 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 the paradigm. Where would you have been if you did not have the college programs? Well, would, you, would you have come out and be the success that you are today? Well, I would say yes, mm-hmm. uh, because I made a determination that I wasn't going to go back the other way, regardless. Right. right. But I think that it was essential that I had that support base, that educational support base, so that I could do even that much more. You talked about, well, I'm sorry, the articles talked about the programs that you ran in prison and uh, makes reference to a youth summit uh, locally on violence that you've been engaged in. You have been involved in the reentry um, community. You've gone out and mentored kids. You've gone out and talked to different groups. You've been an organizer and an advocate for the reentry community. Why? Well, you... Again, you have to do things that are more and bigger than yourself. Mm-hmm. In order to uh, be an instrument, a God-driven instrument, you have to be able to touch people, in fact, with what you have been given. So I believe that I have been given some divine principles that I need to impart and practice to other people to show them the benefit of the sincere happiness that they supposed to have within themselves. Therefore, it won't be all of this entanglement. Mm-hmm. So you have to have a freedom uh, to know and to be able to do and to practice the things that you've been given. Now, if we don't have no exchange about those things, then they won't see it. Mm-hmm. A teacher can't engage a, a child like I can engage them because mm-hmm. they haven't been there. Mm-hmm. You understand? Mm-hmm. A judge won't be able to do that. The students in college won't even be able because they haven't been exposed to it. Mm-hmm. Now, I work with Howard University, a mm-hmm. uh, professor there by the name of Arvella Jackson in, in Douglas Hall. I've worked with her for, I've been knowing her since 76. Mm-hmm. I had the chaplain of the United States Senate to pay her to come to Lawton to teach us anthropology, linguistics, sociology. Mm-hmm. Now, come, becoming a part of the Howard University uh, 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 program through Lawton mm-hmm. was one that I had to create myself mm-hmm. because I had the resource to do it. Mm-hmm. So 10 of those men were taking those classes. I've still been in contact with her since coming in the community. Mm-hmm. I've given a prep breakfast up there at Howard University so that the student population that comes from different states can be able to have a practical experience of what it means to integrate their education with the reality of community work. But you don't understand that most people who come out of the prison system don't do what you do. Um, a lot do. I don't want to take away from anybody sure. who have been advocates, but you have just been there steadfastly throughout working with youth, working with anti-crime summits, working with the re-entry community, being an advocate. Um, you've been uh, a bus driver for years. You're now running for the local uh, union presidency. Um, what motivates you to do all these things? You've said religion. Is there anything else beyond religion? Well, it's it's kept at my belief and faith in Jesus Christ is the ultimate driving force in my life. Mm-hmm. And that's where I get my energy. The power of the Holy Spirit allows me to be driven to do things 
to help others. And that young, so man, that, that young man early on in life probably had all that instruction, probably had all that encouragement. You were probably, as you said, exposed to religion, but there was a certain point where it took root and where it took root was in prison. Yes, it was the fullness of time. The you, form- know, you, you cannot uh, continue to, 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 to be destructive to yourself and expect to get something out of life more. Uh, you have to be able to be a contributor. You have to be able to be a participant. Mm-hmm. You have to be able to be involved. And that goes across the board with the criminal justice process. The fact is that they don't have experiences that would make for the difference once a person is caged in a environment. Mm-hmm. And now we have to look at what is what value can we get out of these people now that we're locking them up, now that they committed some wrong in society or been found guilty for some particular crime, how can we get the best of this? Now, well, what I did was I looked at the Special Olympics. That was a, a population of people that was not being while you, were in, while you were in prison. While I was in prison. And I met this uh, guy who was a part of the World Football League. His name was E. Joseph Wheeler, and mm-hmm. he was a oceanographer. And uh, I challenged him. He was on the field. They had some guys doing some football trials. That was in the transition of the World Football League. Mm-hmm. And so I challenged him and wrote him a letter. He took the letter to Eunice Kennedy Shriver. They sent their sports director down here, and we got something going. And so it lasted for 10 years successfully. All right, final 30 seconds of the program, so the answer has been quick. What message do you give right now to somebody caught up in the criminal justice system, doing the wrong thing, hanging out in the street? You're talking directly to that person. What do you say to them? Well, I I believe that I I would want this person to uh, uh, begin to evaluate themselves, have some build a support base in the community with their families, with the church, with someone that will keep them conscious, motivated, and educated about where they're going once they're released. All right. That was a wonderful story, Sydney. This is the program, The Amazing Life of Sydney Davis. Uh, This is D.C. Public Safety. We appreciate your comments. We even appreciate your criticisms, and we want everybody to have themselves a very pleasant day. (laughs) 